Welcome to the Vortex Nation podcast, brought to you by lovers of hunting, shooting, public lands, the Second Amendment, and good food. What is up, everybody? Mark on the mic here, my good friend Jim to my right, and across from us, also my good friend Pete, both of you guys coming up from Vortex Edge. You came armed. Thank you. We got a couple ARs on the table. We got a couple uh, loose rifle scopes on the table. All of these rifle scopes, Jim, LPVOs. That's right. And what does that stand for? Low power variable optic. Well put. Often referred to as LVPO. No, wait, LPVO. LPVO. People mix up that all the time. Yes. I just did right now. It's a lot of uh, people, people mix up. I was trying to say people it fast mi- and sound. <laughs> These cool days, a lot of people mix up the P and the V. You know what I mean? <laughs> I've also heard LPO, just low power optic. Oh, okay. Kind of like that too, but yeah, it's, it's not. A bit, it's, it's not like, wrong. It's it's not. It's not. I guess. A, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I guess that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Low so, power variable optics. Let's let's reiterate, and then uh, Pete's here because Pete uses these things all the time as an instructor at Edge. But we'll reiterate a little bit about what that actually means. Now that we've said sort of what the acronym is, or the uh, somebody actually said is it's it's an acronym if you can say it, but it's an alphabetism or something. I don't remember the actual word if you if you just spell it out. Anyway, it's any optic that basically starts on one power. So. One to six, one to four, even uh, one to eight, one to ten. We actually have one to six, a one to eight, and a one to ten on the table here. So if you hear that one at the beginning, then it acts kind of almost similar in roll to like what a lot of people would use a red dot for, up close and fast. And then in, these have the unique ability in that case to zoom in. So they are mounted up like traditional rifle scopes in rings or in mounts on these ARs. In this case, one piece mounts. And uh, you got to level it and all that stuff, so it's a little bit more involved to get it mounted in or mounted up. But uh, but yeah, then it's maybe a little bit more of a jack of all trades, if you will. So Pete, I know you've got one one of these guns here, the tan one on the table, is actually the firearm that you use for. Well, you use it in some instruction stuff, but you had it set up specifically in this case for the tactical games, correct? Yes. Cool. And you've got a razor one to six on top. Yes. Specifically, because I don't really know what distances I'm going to be shooting at. They just give us a range. So, okay, I want a scope that can kind of do everything. There it is, one to six. Okay, I could, in theory, take that this gun probably all the way out to four, possibly 500 yards if I wanted to. So that's one of the huge advantages of a really, really good low-power variable optic. I could shoot this thing at one power really fast. Okay, maybe not quite as fast as a red dot, but I'm not going to lose any any speed. I can shoot that at one power, and now I have a little bit of a magnification. Okay, I have you know ballistic holds there. I can I can use that to reach out to a longer distance where I traditionally can't do that with a with a red dot. So it, it gives mm. me some advantages there. Uh, don't really know how far I need to shoot, so LPVO can kind of do it all for me. Makes a lot of sense. Now, some people I know a lot of what we're going to speak to here is in the context of the AR platform, and more specifically, even just kind of the traditional two two three five five six setup. So when you're talking longer distances, kind of, I don't know if it's still a common thought. I feel like people have kind of started to really figure out the capabilities of the AR platform uh, in in recent years, especially. But it's not just like a hundred yard, two hundred yard, and in gun. It's they're they're very capable out to some you know mid range, if you will, distances. 
Yeah, um, a lot of that depends on the shooter. A lot of it depends on the ammo. A lot of it depends on the quality of the AR. I mean, some ARs are better at long range than other, but I mean, you can, like this rifle, I could probably take out to 400 yards pretty easily. Know exactly where I need to hold. And yeah, I, I, you know, most guys, I think, you know, there's millions of ARs out there. I think most of those guys never shoot them past 100 yards, and they're actually very capable out mm-hmm. to the past those different distances. I mean, just ask anybody that shoots three gun. Sure. You know, well, and then, oh, you know, yeah, maybe you get it chambered in, you know, something that has a little bit more uh, long-range capability, you know, get get it chambered in a 6.5 Creedmoor or something like that, and then you really are extending its effective oh, range. Oh, yeah, exactly. totally. Now, obviously, a big a big thing that people talk about, and I think we even had a podcast about this in particular, but it's the red dot versus low-power variable. Right. That was an older episode that we did. But yeah, Pete, so if somebody was going to be strictly doing stuff within 100 yards, and, and we're not poo-hooing that by any means, because that is very common use for the AR, would you see a, a significant use case for a low-power variable over a red dot? Or is the, is the real main advantage that magnification? Man, it's, I go back and forth on this, you know, because I came to work here years ago, and then this, our company makes some of the best low-power variables, in my opinion, in the world. And I kind of got reintroduced to magnifiers, and, you know, I'm back and forth, magnifier, red dot, or an LPVO, I'm back and forth, back and forth. And, you know, we had a discussion about this the other day, and currently, like, we're kind of 100 yards and in, so... The stuff we're doing, a lot of CQB, a lot of stuff on the 50-yard range, a lot of stuff on the 100, a, a red dot and a magnifier make a lot of sense. Uh, but there are a lot of advantages to running an LPVO. I mean, you can extend the distance a little bit. You can kind of work in those areas of magnification where it's not just one or three or one or six. You can kind of work in those two to three areas. So there's some advantages there. There's there's a lot of stuff that can be be gained by maybe just shooting at two or three power I know when we work with a lot of people, and this could be seen as an advantage or a disadvantage, um, guys tend to over-magnify things a lot. You know, they get a 1 to 10 or a 1 to 6, and they're making a 100-yard shot on a really big target, and they want to crank that thing all the way. And even at, at <laughs> shorter, shorter distances, yeah. Yeah, we've, we've covered this before. Yeah. More is better, Pete. Like, I don't know, I don't know how to get this into your guys' heads. Right. So right. There, is a, there is a little bit of an educational learning curve with a low-power variable optic. And, and a lot of that is, I mean, I've been on standing on the line, guys, at, at 10 yards, and, and we're doing shots from the low ready, and I look over in there at four or five power. It's like, no, man, back that off to one. Back that off to one. Glass is only going to make you see better. It's not going to make you shoot better. And... You know, a lot of that just become comes through education and experience. But mm. you know, the biggest thing is to try to, you know, when I tell patrol officers, you know, who want to run an LPVO, like that rifle stored in their car at one power, right? And, and it is, it is to me, it is a one power optic to them until they need magnification. And a lot of times for a police officer, I mean, they're not making shots past hundred yards, but that glass is really good to positively identify stuff. Uh, really good friend of mine was involved in an incident. They had a barricaded suspect. Sun was going down. Um, they were around the house. Suspect was running in and out of his garage, and nobody had any kind of glass on him. And they couldn't. He had something in his hand, and they couldn't see what it was. And they resolved the situation. They arrested him. But as soon as he got home, he had a Razor one to six on another rifle, and he took it off, took it to the range the next day, and zeroed it up. Yep. Uh, yep. And he ran like an eleven and a half inch rifle. So certain roles with police officers and, and tactical guys like 
having an LPVO gives them that advantage of, the, of being able to get glass on something and positively identify something without having to carry an extra set of binos or anything. So, right, right. You're talking about IDing a person. Like you said, what's, what, what is or isn't in, what's their, in hand? their hand? Is that a cell phone? Is it a gun? Important information to know. And it's done mm-hmm. at ranges traditionally we wouldn't think we would need magnification either. Right. Like, you know, you don't need to have six power to identify, see a deer at 50, 60 yards, but you might need six power magnification to see, hey, is that really a gun in that suspect's hand? Or, you know, if, if they have a weapon. So it's, it's kind of unique in that sense. Like traditionally shooting, we don't want to use a whole lot of magnification, but there is a very small range where, yeah, if I'm a police officer and I need to see something 40, 30, 40, 50 yards away, um, yeah, a little bit of magnification is going to help, and that's where I think an LPVO definitely, definitely can be handy. Yeah, I mean, and, and I mean, you opened up right away, Pete, with just the versatility. You know, I mean, it really, in my opinion, can be you know one scope or one gun to do it all. Like you said, if you don't know what you might, may or may not encounter, like it is going to be that do all. I mean, you often see like the term like. Uh, Recce rifle, you know, thrown yeah. out there, and oftentimes you'll see an LPVO on top of that, on top of that rifle, and that's because it's for a lot of things, for maybe reconnaissance type stuff, or you know, maybe you do need to do some close end work, maybe you need to engage some uh, a thread or a target or something at at somewhat of an extended range, like it's that do all, but it doesn't mean it doesn't mean you don't need a red dot, and I think that's that's something that we've talked about before, Jim. But when we started getting into LPVOs, I was like, dude, this is going to kill red dots. And like, it just, <laughs> I mean, I put, I put, a, I put a, because on top of my head, I'm like, well, I've got a red dot if I want it, but I also have, you know, this, this, this greater magnification. But heck, you know, and I love LPVOs, but I actually, I put a dot on that small, uh, on that, the AR pistol that I sighted in the other day. And which kind of, I'm getting somewhere with this, Jim. So I was sighting that in. No, granted, all I had on hand was just some, you know, uh, not high quality ammo, but it's also going to be kind of like my close in gun. It's not, a, I'm not looking at it as necessarily a precision gun though, even though I think it can be. But even when I was sighting it in with the red dot, I was like, I'm not, from a precision perspective, I guess, yeah. at least to me, it feels like an LPVO has an advantage. Like you're going to be able to sight in more precisely with an LPVO. Is that, is that a, is that a wrong, right interpretation or wrong interpretation? Yeah. You've yeah. got a lot more experience than I do, Pete. I, I agree, especially, you know, I'm, I'll be 46 in October. The eyes aren't what they used to be. Uh, I remember being able to shoot bullseyes at 100 with a red dot, and uh, I need magnification now to be able to do that. So, you know, depending on your age, I, I think you can zero it in a little bit finer. Uh, I know red dots can kind of bloom out a little bit for a lot of people. So depending on your zero distance, um, I think an LPVO would definitely be an advantage there. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of it's it's always uh, discouraging a little bit to hang around the instructors all day at the range because sometimes you'll go and you'll be like, oh man, it's kind of hard to shoot a red dot at fifty yards, and then they shoot like you know X ring, yeah. X ring, X ring at fifty, and you're like, well, okay, I guess it's <laughs> it is me. Yeah. It's like I, I I like you, I just don't want to feel bad about me. Right, right. Yeah. It is. It's one of those. You know, you bring up you bring up red dots, Mark, and the fact that they're still very much a thing. I think they'll always be a thing. Mm-hmm. Low-power variables did not kill them. No. Um, and, and nor will they ever. In fact, I almost think that when we finally... The world sort of adopted low-power variables, I'd say, in in relatively, I'm going to say, recent history. Now, I'm not saying they've only been around 
for uh, a shorter period of time. They've been around for a long time, but as with anything that's newer, I mean, heck, look at the AR-15 itself. As with anything that's newer, at first people are a little bit hesitant about it, and it has to get a little bit better. There's revisions, and and now we have things that are really pretty impressive. Um, But, you know, I think actually a lot of times... The introduction of low-power variables, I think it made red dots better in a lot of ways because people were like, well, all right, you know, these things are pretty slick. We need to improve our red dots to make them really good at what they do. But they still have their place. So, Pete, explain where you would choose. We've kind of gotten into it a little bit about where you choose the low-power variable. Where does the red dot then come into play over the low-power variable? Well, number one, Cost, I think. Like, yeah. if you want to, it if if you just want to get an optic on there right away without any glass, I mean, it's a cheaper option. Yeah. But if if you know, I'm thinking like home defense rifle. Like, you're not going to have to really shoot it that far, or even even if you're, you know, I would say that hundred yards and in. I think if that's mainly where you see your shooting, I think that's where red dot really shines. And and I think there are some advantages, like even, you know. That four, five, six, seven-yard range, where I think a red dot might have a slight speed advantage over an LPVO. You know, if you're a police officer, if if you have to respond to active shooters, if you have to do any kind of close quarters battle, I think a true red dot would have an advantage over an LPVO. But you know, the LPVO you can do a lot more things with. So mm-hmm. it, it, yeah. it really depends. I mean, it was funny you were you were talking about how LPVOs might kill the red dot. I thought an LPVO would kill a magnifier, and it's oh yeah, man. I think they're just as strong as ever. I think they're you know, stronger. Yeah. I Than they were? Than they were. I, oh, yeah. absolutely. When, when we got the first Micro 3Xs, you know, I've been, been playing around with a 1 to 6 for a year, and I looked at it, and I'm like, yeah, I don't, you know, and I I can't get rid of the thing. I find it so handy and so useful. So, yeah. and, and I just, I think there's a place for everything. Yeah. I really do. You know, and... And I don't even know if I really would want to run a gun with just a red dot anymore. Oh, like yeah. I think I would have a magnifier, and and maybe I would cavit that that yeah that uh, if I have a red dot on the gun, I would have the option of mounting mm-hmm. a, a magnifier on that. So I, I would say maybe zero to hundred, you know, depending on eyesight, depending on age. I, I think that red dot would really shine. And if 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 you want to make shots past that, I think an LPVO would be yeah. definitely be an yeah. advantage. I mean, yeah, we I, talk about ARs in general. Jim, and I guess you know. I guess we're talking about a lot of these optics, like you, like you mentioned, in the, within the context of, of the AR-15 platform. But that platform is so versatile, and you can cater it to such specific applications that it makes sense to put a specific optic on top of it. So, are there some times, or scenarios, or applications where you're like, I guess, other than being like a jack of all trades, like you're like, no, you want an LPVO for that. Yeah, longer range. So I'm. I think hunting. I, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's people who hunt with the red dots and a magnifier too. But I mean, me personally, I like. Mm-hmm. I like. You know, we'll get into this setup over here, but that's my coyote gun. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I'm seeing I, a, a influx of guys putting one to sixes on both guns. Uh, it was kind of funny a couple of years ago. Uh, we we helped sight in a lot of people that work here, and I can't tell you how many people came down to the range that work here that had had a one to six on a bolt gun. And it really kind of makes a lot of sense, I think. You know, if, if you have to, if you're walking to your tree stand or you're, you're driving deer, you maybe want to have it on one power and, and it gives you a little more magnification. It, it, 
you know, I, I, I think it's a little more useful than what we think mm-hmm. a traditional hunting scope. You kind of got to, yeah, you kind of got to get over the look. Yeah. Yes. If you focus solely on performance, there's a lot of scenarios where it can make a lot of sense. But if you're, you know, if you're going for like a traditional look or vibe or something, then it's, it may be out, but. But I mean, then you look at even, and I think we're probably going to get there, but, uh, you know, like then you get into those one to 10. It's like, heck, yeah. one of our most popular configurations is a two and a half to 10. So now you're looking at a one to 10. Yeah. Like you said, form factor, definitely different. Not that traditional look. Right. Function, though, going to probably do what you need it to do. I got to ask, though, we were talking about some pros and cons. We didn't get to one that I wanted to bring up. So it's between red dots and low power variables. I've started to learn a lot more about this particular thing being down at Vortex Edge because we have a really cool class related to it. Night vision. So night vision with a low power variable versus a red dot. Now I realize not everybody out there has night vision, even considering getting into night vision, but actually it seems like more and more people are these days. So Pete, you use a lot of night vision. You teach the class that we have, um, which by the way, if you don't have any night vision, that doesn't mean you can't take our class. We'll lend you some really, really sweet stuff uh, for no charge. And uh, anyway, What's your what's your opinion there? Have you have you used it with a scope like this, or do you just use it with red dots? Or so when we mean use it, we mean shoot it in kind of a traditional way. You got your night vision goggles, and you're able to look through the optic and, and shoot on your. Um, so we're talking yep, helmet mounted. Yep, helmet not mounted. Clip on helmet mounted. There's a couple considerations you have to have. One of them is uh, a higher mount. This right here is a one nine three mount, so it's a little higher than than a most most traditional optic mounts. You know, and, and, and that being said, I, I think a red dot's definitely going to have an advantage over most traditional LPVOs. Um, you kind of get into this thing where you're, you're, you're looking through dual tube night vision goggles and it's a tube. And then you're kind of starting to look through another tube and you're starting to stack optics on top of each other. Uh, you can do it using the crosshairs in there, but I think like a like one of our red dots, like a Spark Solar or a UH-1 would be a lot easier to use. Now, I know people that run red dots in conjunction with an LPVO offset, mm-hmm. and that, that can kind of solve that problem. Like, mm-hmm. they'll maybe run a Crossfire or a Razor red dot offset, so they can still use that through their night vision goggles. But okay. if, yeah. if, if you were really concerned, if you had a gun specifically set up for night vision, I would probably lean towards maybe that, that red dot uh, magnifier combo. Mm-hmm. Um, when a person is generally using night vision, I guess for I guess more of like a I guess a tactical application, is that generally closer in work as well, or could that run the gamut? Um, you know, we 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 have guys shoot. We try to get them to shoot longer ranges. The the problem comes even with really really good night vision. It's really hard to identify what you're seeing past a certain range. You know, for law enforcement applications like like. We'll take guys onto the range, and we'll have them just shoot groups at 100. But realistically, I mean, you're not going to be able to identify everything you need to do to, to use force legally uh, using using night vision at those distances. It's actually more like maybe 20, 10, that kind of distance. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, the limitation isn't the ability to shoot that long range. It's, it's, it's being able to identify. Gotcha. So traditionally, you know, if you had to use force with night vision, it would be at shorter ranges. And honestly... 99% of the time, we would be using the laser and illuminator combo. But, you know, it is nice having that option, especially in recent years. There's been a lot of talk about near-peer conflicts, you know, um, a lot of night vision out there in the world. Uh, you know, those lasers aren't really invisible anymore. 
So gotcha. people still want to have optics that are that are uh, compatible with shooting through with night vision if you had to. Hmm. Um, and I know over the last couple of years, we've really made a good effort to a, a lot of our red dots are night vision compatible. And it sounds super fancy, but really it just means there are settings in there where, where the the reticle is dim enough to where it doesn't bloom too much mm-hmm. under night vision. Because night vision goggles, you're amplifying light. If you have a normal reticle, it's just going to wash everything out. And it, it, it simply means that there are settings in there that are low enough so you can, can use them in conjunction with night vision. Yeah, very cool. Night vision is cool. That's why I wanted to bring that up. I know. <laughs> what about when When do you think a person would choose first versus second focal plane in an LPVL? Because uh, we have both on the table here. Well, and yeah, that's that's kind of the thing is like not even – we're talking about LPVLs like they're all the same, but actually even within that, there's choices. Right. For me, I I think it kind of boils down to how much money you want to spend, okay? And then what's the role of the rifle? Um, Jimmy's got an example here. Uh, he's got an 18-inch suppressed gun. Uh, how far have you taken that thing out to, Jimmy? This gun? Yeah. Uh, I've taken this gun out to 600, Okay. I think, All which right. isn't like insane. But, you know, I mean, there's also just limitations in terms of what, what we can get at the range. And so. what, what optic do you have on top of that one then, Jim? So this gun in particular has a Razor 1 to 10, so I'm, I'm a little bit pinky up. Yeah, I get it. But it's got a Razor <laughs> 1 to 10 on it, so that's a first focal plane optic, 34 mil tube. You know, and it's it's the first time we've done a 1 to 10 optic, and it's there aren't a whole lot of 1 to 10 options out there that can go up to that high magnification while still having a really good 1 power. But that's my that's my coyote gun. It's um it's a big, heavy, kind of pig, of a gun. But you pop it on this Arca Swiss thing here on the bottom and throw it on one of our radiant carbon tripods, and you don't notice it, and then it's just stout and it shoots lights out. So that's kind of the configuration. That's you know what I what I tell people are like first and second. You know the one to six versus one to ten. They kind of overlap a little bit. You know if. If you want this gun to be, you know, that 600, maybe and beyond, and maybe have to make some close-in shots at one power, I would lean towards that 1 to 10. You know, if you had a gun, the 1 to 6, most of the time you're going to have it on one power, but then you want to crank it up to maybe make those shots off to three, 400, maybe that's where that uh, second focal plane 1 to 6 kind of plays in. They, they kind of complement each other. Mm-hmm. So you got to buy both. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Well, I'm yeah, kidding. that's. I mean, a lot of people ask us when we came out with the Gen 3 Razor here that that's that 1 to 10 I was talking about. And then we have the Gen 2 1 to 6 second focal plane. They were like, well, is the Gen 2 going away? And the answer is no, it's not going away anytime at all, like in the foreseeable future, because it's really, they almost don't even have... They overlap. If you look at a Venn diagram, there are sections yep. that overlap in the right. middle, but there's certainly one to ten things that it like it just does better, and there's one to six things that it just does better, and so it just makes sense that they they both exist. And I think that was a really common misconception when the one to ten came out. It would just be a straight replacement for the one to six, you know, and and oh, get rid of these one to sixes; they're no longer useful. And I just I don't think that's the case at all. I I think very much there's a lot of use for that one to six still. Yeah, you know, but they're both great optics, and 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 they just this is more longer range that you can use short range. Sometimes this is more kind of short range that can you can you can use longer range. It's really depending on how mm-hmm. you want to shoot your rifle. Yeah. Well, and then you've got that cost component built in there too. Like you said, what's your rifle for? How are you mostly going to be using it? Right. And then kind of cater the functionality of the optic itself. Yes, consider that, and then go. Well, if I'm not going to really be using that other stuff, I'm going to save a little coin here. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and we've talked about this numerous times too uh, before, but you talk about the difference between first focal plane and second focal plane. And to reiterate that in, in sort of a short version, every time you zoom an optic in and out, you're making the image grow and shrink. In a first focal plane optic, the reticle will appear to be growing and shrinking. It's going to be doing that at the exact same rate as the image. So all the subtensions, hash marks, little things in there that are reference points and used to measure things, those will all stay in the proper scale to the image the whole time. So you can always use those. Uh, but in second focal plane, that reticle will not appear to grow and shrink as the image grows and shrinks around it. So therefore, it's kind of it's kind of losing its its proper scale to the image until usually there's there's one particular power, often the highest power, where that subtensions and all the measurements and things are at the proper scale and they all line up with the image. So you know I think a lot of people like to use first focal plane optics in mid to longer range type applications. Because now we're shooting at distances where I'm going to have to be accounting for bullet drop. So now I'm going to be thinking about holding over, using my reticle more, maybe doing wind holds. And that's where then I don't want to have to think about, well, am I on the right power to use those? Or am I on a different power where now I have to do some crazy kooky math to make... You just use the holds as you would. Yep. And then it's you're off to the races. But kind of the thing about it is, and this is where... You know, I like having one power on this scope on this scope here, but for a coyote gun, I actually like it more for scanning and finding things mm-hmm. because the reticle, the image gets smaller when you're on one power. Uh, you know, you get this big field of view, but the reticle then also has to get small with the image, and so it's it's kind of tiny. And if you use the illumination, you've pretty much just got a little red dot there, and so. This does happen to have a daylight bright first focal plane reticle, which is very difficult to do. But with the with the Razer one to six, it just it's easier to pick up on one power. Yeah. It's like right there, boom, in your face. Yep. Pete, it seems like you pretty much agree with that, right? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, I I just for what we do right now, the distances, the classes we teach, I'm I'm really just I think that one to six really just is kind of good enough for me. Mm-hmm. You know. Either some ice fell off the roof or a person fell off the roof just now. Somebody should probably check. Wow. <laughs> those are, those are, that was significant. Those are two very different things, Jim. Yes. Uh, we've talked about it, but all, all of... You got them. Uh, we've been talking about illumination, right? But I think it's important to point out, like, every single one of these LPVOs has illumination Mm, mm -hmm, and i'd mm -hmm. say that ideally that is because they do on the low end of one have that kind of red dot sight functionality right right? and 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 for an lpvo to really be useful for me like the way i use it like it has to be daylight bright at one power it has to be i mean i i like to use it like a red dot like you know the 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 distances and the speeds that i want to be able to shoot this rifle um just a traditional set of crosshairs isn't going to be good enough your eye isn't going to be able to pick that up fast enough traditionally and i think that's where a really really bright center dot reticle is really going to help you so mm-hmm. i i tend to you know push guys towards you know I, people that are looking for patrol rifles we got to make sure we have that bright bright red dot at one power because i mean you know, once again, like you're using this more like a traditional scope that you can have on one power. You're kind of using this like a red dot until you need magnification. And mm-hmm. it needs to act like a red dot at one power or as close as possible. Yeah. Yep. So that's that's really important. What about, you know, I guess I'd say in predominantly these, these first focal plane options, 
more elaborate reticle, uh, you know, more um, hold points, more data points, m- more subtension markings. Is there an advantage with uh, fast follow-ups there? Like if you, maybe if you have a, f- a first-round miss and making that correction, is that easier with those hold points? Well, I wouldn't know. I never... No, I'm kidding. I miss, I miss all the time. <laughs> Wrong guy I to miss, ask that yeah, question. No. Yeah, we, uh, am kidding. we need Corey or Justin, <laughs> the sniper dudes, or, or Chris, our middle sniper. I yes. miss all the time. So yeah, those are definitely an advantage, you know, for, for wind holds and, and those longer distance shots, that busy reticle. Like some people might find it a little distracting, you know, and, and I, I came from the world where it was all red dots. You know, and then like the first time I looked through a one to ten, like my eyes were completely overwhelmed at 10, 10 power because I'm, mm. you know, I'm not from that traditional sniping world. Like I look at that and like I'm just used to seeing a glowing red bulb, and now I see this giant reticle pattern, and it was it was overwhelming for me. It's like more to think about. You yeah. know, Justin loved it. Justin loved it. These are great, and I was like, whoa, what is going on here? So yeah. it was. You know, and, and that's not a, the fault of the optic. That's that's just where my experience lies. But yeah. that is definitely an advantage if you have the training to use all that. It, it gives you that much more feedback. You know, where, you know, the the razor, the one to six, I tend to lean towards more. It's a little more simpler. Okay, here's a couple hash marks for your holds. You know, it's, it's a traditional crosshair reticle. That's what I'm more used to. But it's it's really personal preference and and what you're able to to get out of that optic. But there's definitely an advantage to that at those longer distances. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do think I do think it's important for people if they are considering a, an optic, you know, and they see the reticle at first, especially if it's newer to them. A lot of people will be like, "My gosh, the reticle's got too much stuff going on," yeah. you know, and it's and for your application maybe it does, but also I wouldn't count one out necessarily for that at first. Because I liken it to, oh, I don't know, I mean, when you go to the mechanic and they open up, they pop the hood, they don't look at your engine bay and think, oh my gosh, there's so much stuff here, because they've seen it an engine bay 10,000 times. You look open it up, maybe, I know Mark does, Yes. and it's like, holy crap, I don't even know where to start, you know? But I mean, it just takes time, repetition, seeing it over and over, you figure out what you need to focus on and what you can ignore for the given situation. A good analogy I would use for someone is somebody who's shooting a pistol with an iron sight for years and then they pick up a red dot and that thing's just zipping all over the place and they're overwhelmed because it's giving them all this info and through experience they realize okay this is this is what I need to focus on you know I don't need all this necessarily it's the same thing with with that reticle once you know what you're looking at and what you're looking for it's very easy to use very similar my first time was a little overwhelming though Justin (laughs) picked it up right away he's dinging steel out at 900 yards I mean that's he just comes from that world though right yeah right we have so one thing we were commenting about before the podcast started here, uh, and I, I think it's kind of an interesting thing is is so this is slightly apples to oranges and we'll get to that. But over here we have two razors. One is a one to six second focal plane, one is a one to ten first focal plane. We kind of mentioned that and, mm-hmm. and how they both sort of have different maybe primary roles and and secondary roles. They were or maybe just the primary and secondary, if you will, are flipped. Uh, we actually kind of have the same pairing going on over here with the scopes that are not mounted on on guns. Now, th- where the apples to oranges comes into play is that in this case, they're from two different families, even though I actually think that they uh, they kind of have a similar thing going on to what the Razors have. We have a PST Gen 2 1-6, second focal plane. And then we have kind of at the time of this, well, at the time of this recording, no one knows about it, but at the time of this release, it's kind of the new hotness. The Strike Eagle one to eight. Yes, first focal plane. Much excite. Much excite. And so, 
in this case, you have you have two optics that I think have the same dynamics going on as the two razors. Now, one thing we should point out here: some people may be familiar with the Strike Eagle series mm-hmm. by this point in time. Mm-hmm. There's a really sweet five to twenty-five. There's a one to six and a one to eight second focal plane rifle scopes. Now, the one to six and the one to eight second focal plane rifle scopes. I want to point this out: they are not the same as this. Obviously, they're second focal plane, but like this one to eight is not the exact same optic with a reticle just stuck in the first focal plane. This is actually a completely 100% new optical system, and it is, it's extraordinary. It's, it's very impressive. And that's why I think, ultimately, the, the comparison here can be made between it and, and this PST-1-6, actually, shockingly. Right. Well, I've, even price-wise, right, they, they almost mirror each other. Well, yeah, they're the same. Yeah, so. retail. And, and again, this is all at least at the time of this recording and all that stuff. But yeah, so for, for the same price, you can get two different rifle scopes. And so some people may be wondering again, you know, well, which one do I get? And I think we have the same conversation we just had. There's a second focal plane, one to six, with a daylight bright center dot in the reticle. And that's kind of more like primary roll, up close and fast. Oh, and I've got some magnification. And then we've got this one to eight first focal plane, primary roll mid to long range, oh, and I've got one power, mm-hmm. which is pretty sweet. It's kind of like, what do you set, what do you set a precedence on? Mm-hmm. You know, what are, what are the more important features for your rifle and how you're going to be using it? Select the appropriate optic. And I, I think to the layperson, and maybe I was like this a couple of years ago, oh, one to 10, it goes to 10 power. That means it's better than the one to six, right? It's and I think better. a lot of people think like that. And it comes back to, hey, is the magnification going to help you shoot better or is it going to help you see better? You know, so, all right, if, if you know, I'm only out shooting out to maybe 100, maybe 200 yards, that one to six will probably do just fine. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if I want to push the distance a little bit, that one to eight looks really nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it does. Oh, my gosh, this is totally set up for Pete right now. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the diopter just, is just cranked to just the max. Wait till you guys hit your forties. Oh uh, well, I Luckily can still I've... see stuff at distance though. That's good. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. This man. thing's pretty that sweet. Up, that up close stuff is what you you know. It's got a yeah. this this strike eagle though. I mean, you know, now's our time to to kind of hype it up a little bit. You know, you are listening to the Vortex Nation podcast, so occasionally we'll do this, but. The thing is awesome. I mean, it's got a reticle very, very similar to the reticle in the Razor 1 to 10. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, optically, we're, I'll compare these briefly here. Optically speaking, the Razor 1 to 10 is just, I mean, it's like, it's to die for. But it is also, if I do the math correctly, I think four times the cost of the Strike Eagle 1 to 8 first focal plane. Something like that, yeah. And, you know, if that's what you're in the market for, hey, sweet. I mean, it's worth it. I have one, and I mean, yeah, I guess I get the employee discount, but uh, <laughs> it's a sweet optic. But I mean, if you're if you're not in that kind of territory, and you're like, well, I want to do that. I mean, I absolutely put this on my coyote gun and yep. and run that as is, or I'd I'd put it on a uh, a DMR designated marksman rifle or something like that. I think I think it would be it's phenomenal. The optics are incredible on it, and yeah, super cool scope. I like it a lot. Same. I think it has a 30 been, mil tube, I've been right? very... Yeah. Like, the, the Razor 110 is a 34 mil tube, but yep. this has 30. Uh, definitely a scope. The first time like I used it a little bit, I was like, ooh, like that kind of exceeded my expectations. Oh, yeah. Awesome. 
I'm trying to think. Have we have we missed anything? Did we cover it? No, I mean maybe this might just be a little bit of a shorter full length, or but you know, like I said, we've already we've talked about the whole low power variable versus red dot thing. I think, but the conversation about just low power variables in general, you know, there's there's some pretty crazy uh, science behind all rifle scopes. There's some neat little little science behind low power variables in general. They're they're a bit different from your regular traditional rifle scope in some ways. Getting that one power is is honestly it's the big thing. Having a having an optic where by the twist of a dial it's magnifying the image, but actually when you when you dial it down to the lowest, it it looks very very close to what you see with the naked eye. Mm-hmm. That takes that takes some work. So, and I think Pete, you brought up we have a we have a lot of low power variables. I think, I mean, our selection in terms I, I, again, I don't want to be like like I'm. If you need a low-power low variable optic, come down to Vortex Optics. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I suppose I'll show our own brand here. But there's so many choices now. Yeah. It didn't used to be that way. Yeah. You no. have everything from, uh, we still got the Crossfire 1 to 4. I mean, that's a that's a perfectly fine. I have that on a, a bolt gun of all things, a 223 bolt gun. And then you've got the Strike Eagle 1 to 6, 1 to 8, the, the new Strike Eagle 1 to 8 first focal plane, the PST, the Razors. It just... Tons of options. Out a lot there. of options. And that's out only there. just in our brand, uh, which is you know the only thing that matters. One thing yeah. I want to, yeah. <laughs> I want to. One thing I want to bring up, and guys that came from my world that are used to red dots, you have to, if you switch into an LPVO, you have to do the research on how to mount them. It is completely different, mm. and it's there. We have a lot of good re- resources when it comes to videos. I wish I had paid attention to those. Uh, I may or may not have screwed up an optic or two the first time I mounted it up here on my own, but it, it is completely different. Like you, you, you throw a red dot on a gun, you just you hand tighten everything, you dump Loctite all over it, and you're good to go. And then when you start mounting up an LPVO, there's a lot more involved. You got to level it, and and guys that have you know used traditional rifle scopes, it's not a big deal. But for guys that have used just nothing but red dots, it's mm-hmm. kind of a big deal. And mm-hmm. If you have questions, please ask somebody. Yeah, if you're off by a few inch pounds with red dots, generally speaking, when you mount it up, you probably won't hurt anything unless you're an absolute ape. Uh, but you know, if you're off by a by a few inch pounds, and by a few, I mean you know, like we suggest 15 to 18 inch pounds on those ring screws without Loctite. I mean, if you go to start hitting that 25 number and above. Which, if you're just hand tightening without a torque wrench, is not that hard to do on accident. Mm-hmm. Um, you can start causing some problems internally to these things, and that's no fault of the optic. That's just, I don't know, just physics. Yeah, learn from my mistakes. There's a lot of resources sources out there. I I, I know our our YouTube channel has a lot of our website has a lot of really good educational videos on on mounting out up optics, and you need to take advantage of those. You know, invest in a good mount. Invest in some tools um, and and learn how to set those up right because it's going to save you some heartache. Yeah, It'll save yep. you a lot of heartache down the road. It's a good point too. Investing in a good mount. Uh, that's another thing. When you get a red dot, a lot of times it's got the mount right there yep. in the box, and so usually people think, "I buy the optic, I've got the gun." You know, if you're buying the whole thing yourself, you're like, you probably spent a good bit of money at this point. And you're like, "Oh, I need a way to mount it to the gun. I'll just get the cheapest mount." And it's like, ooh. Mm. I mean, especially if you actually have like a, a good chunk of change into your rifle and optic, especially in that case, you can't cheap out on the mount. It's the only thing holding the two together. Yes. It's literally, it is the gateway to make them work. You, and if it's cheaped out on, they won't work. You have two independent 
precision instruments, they need to be linked together yep. with another precision instrument. Yes. Yep. yes. Pete, you mentioned something, and it's actually a question that I was going to ask, and so it's like perfect timing. A person who is uh, primarily used to red dots, they're thinking, you know what? I'm going to get in this L- LPVO game. What about the um, the feel of the gun? Are there some considerations there? Like that's, you know, just physics, right? That's a heavier optic. Yeah, they add a little bit of weight. And not so much the, the feel of the gun. I, I think a lot of guys, when they come into LPVOs, they, they screw up the eye relief. Most guys, when they mount this, okay, it needs to be back here, back here. And the eye relief is typically so good that it needs to be more forward. And kind of a good rule of thumb to start is, is you know, if, if, if this is kind of in line with the charging handle, that's a good starting point. I see a lot of guys, they mount this guy all the way back, and if it's back here, like something, something's wrong. Like the There's no way you're going to – you have the eyepiece. You're not going to be able – you shoulder it, and, and you watch them move their head back a little bit because you don't have to worry about eye relief with mm-hmm. a red dot. You can mount it almost anywhere up there for the most part, and that's not going to be screwed up. So, you know, once again, we have a lot of educational videos on that, setting your eye relief so you don't have to move your head position. And traditionally, it's – it's guys aren't mounting them too far forward. It's they're mounting them too far back on the upper receiver, and they have to when they bring the gun up, you know they have to keep moving their head back, which is not a natural thing to do. Mm-hmm. And so, I know you were just talking about it, but is there like kind of like a specific point there? I mean, or maybe you even mentioned the charging handle there or something like that. But yeah. is there is there like a hey if, in, you, if you've crossed this line, you cross the line? In, it's a general starting point, I think. But a lot of it is just personal preference. I mean. You know, body style, how tall someone is, their length of pull. You know, I typically run my carbine stocks all the way out. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, and and I'm okay actually leaning my head a little bit forward. So I might run it a little more forward than somebody else. But if somebody else wants a more neutral position, they'll bring it back just a little bit. But I just kind of eyeball this area. And if mm-hmm. I if I see someone like back here, that eyepiece back here, that's generally, hey, let me see you shoulder that rifle. And if they have to go like this, and okay, we have to kind of remount that. And and that's you know, once again with a traditional rifle scope, if you're used to those things. It's not a big deal, but you know, I come from a world where guys just run red dots, and, mm-hmm. and and that was it. And when they got introduced to these things, it was just another thing that, that we had to learn and overcome. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I mean, it's it's it is some more weight, and when you get one of these high mounts, it is a little bit up higher. But at least it's kind of in the right area, right in the center of the gun. Yeah, you know, it's not way out cantilevered on the end, or, or sure. That that is one thing. So you know, in terms of like swinging the gun and moving it side to side, yeah, you might have to deal with that. But I do think what Pete brings up is, you know, if you if you've had to shoot a gun with an optic that's been mounted improperly, in any form, I you know, there's the mechanical side of things mounting it improperly. You're going to have frustrations even if you can see through it really well. But if you if you have had to shoot a gun that's mounted far too low, far too high, far too far forward or back, it's going to ruin everything. Yes. It, it literally ruins everything. Like, you won't shoot as well. It'll be uncomfortable. You won't be having fun. It's just miserable. It's Everything sucks when the optic is not set up right. Well, and just, just a little bit, you know, up, down, fore, and aft can make a really, yes. really yeah. big difference. Yeah. So yeah, don't assume. Don't assume if somebody else you know mounts up a an optic for you. Now I know we have lots of dealers out there who will mount up scopes for customers and things like that. It's great if they do it for you because maybe they know how to do it and and not uh, accidentally make an error that would cause issues mechanically speaking. But absolutely make sure you are there and present to shoulder the gun 
and uh, and do so. Usually, I f- you know we find on the highest power uh, because that's going to be the most critical as far as eye relief and and kind of getting comfortable in behind the the optic and for image quality and all that. Make sure you're there because then you can you can determine and and don't feel weird if you're like yeah can we bump this back you know a millimeter or something because. If it's comfortable, oh, everything. Yeah. When you're in a gun that's set up right, it feels so good. You can shoot it all day versus being like, it's been 30 minutes and I'm kind of done. Yeah. Well, and oftentimes when somebody, if somebody mounts a rifle scope for you, particularly if you're not there, they're gonna mount it and they're like, oh yeah, that feels good to me. But your build might be completely different and it might it might be right. considerably off for you. Right. So, um, scope setup for me probably isn't gonna work very well for Jimmy. No, I mean yeah. eyes. Look at my my ocular, my, my diopters all the way cranked <laughs> out. You know, yeah, they they have to be kind of fitted into the individual. Mm-hmm. Another, uh, are there other mounting considerations? Like I know you've got like a, a laser on there, but like are people? You know, we talked about like helmet mounted night vision, but like yes. what about like uh, like a clip on night vision or thermal? Are there other considerations that a person needs to think of, or is that pretty much where that's located that you're going to be good to hug? As far as a clip on. Uh, you would need a lot of rail space up front. Okay. I think most of the traditional clip-on night vision, they're not really set for that 193 height. Hmm. I, I think they're more s- set for that traditional. Um, so if that's a consideration, you, you're going to have to do a little bit of research on what, what you know, the height, the, uh, the uh, optic mount is you're, you're running. I know 193s are becoming really popular. And for me, I like them because I, I guess I don't really shoot this carbine. And this might be an, another kind of good... Uh, difference between the one to six and the one to ten if you're going to be shooting the gun more the majority of the time in the prone you probably want that one to ten okay but like this one to six i'm thinking more standing i'm thinking more kneeling and in those positions a higher mount actually i think is a little more comfortable for me mm-hmm. guys some people don't like the high mounts when they're shooting their traditional prone and if you're shooting that all the time Maybe, yeah, maybe that mount's not not really what you want, and and maybe you don't have the right optic on that rifle too. If if you, all you're going to do is shoot it in the prone, so I definitely think moving the optic off the gun can be a little more useful depending on how you're going to utilize it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I ran into that with this gun a little bit because I had a lower mount on it. Now I have a one nine three mount for the this one to ten here, but I had to do that because we have the I have the IR illuminator and then the laser and stuff on the front, so. When I had the lower mount, I was just kind of like looking at that. I wasn't seeing the image very well. But then to combat that, sort of, I just shoot off a tripod a lot. So then I'm sitting. And then I just kind of more of that upright, heads-up yep. position. Okay. Um, and if you go prone, I think the 193 is still okay for prone. Uh, I don't know what you think, Pete. But, like, it's it works in, you know, for, like, a, a shorter period of time. Maybe not all day. Yeah. But, like, some of these mounts nowadays, they're, like, you know, the two-point whatever. That starts to be a little tall for me. Yeah, I I think 193 is, is, for me anyway, I think that's a good height for a low-power variable optic. Sometimes I'll I'll run a little higher stuff with a red dot, but that LPVO, I I like to keep it at that 193 height. I think that's a good compromise, and uh, it favors those positions other than just traditional prone. You know, and, and, and I'm trying to get guys, you know, that's one thing when we teach classes down at Edge, like we'll spend time in a carbine class in the prone, zeroing the gun and working on those basic fundamentals. But then immediately we're doing we're doing shots from a standing position at 50 yards you know, mm-hmm. and kneeling. We're trying to get people off the ground with these rifles because it's not really the most practical position. So it's awesome if you're in a if you can be in that position to yes. execute a shot. 
Yes, it's awesome, but it's, it's just it's, not always the case. It's not always the case. I mean, go anywhere in the world and lay down on the on the ground, and your field of view is usually cut like that. It's usually yep. grass, terrain. Most police officers never go prone <laughs> with a rifle. You know, you talk to a lot of military guys, like, yeah, they may or may not, depending, but it's usually on, on the blackboard slope of a hill or something. They never really just go prone, and yet that's where we want to shoot all the time. So... You know, that 193 mount, it's it's not really optimized for prone shooting, but it, I think it helps that heads-up shooting position and everything else you're doing. Cool. cool. I dig it. <sighs> Love it. Well, low-power variables. That's low-power variables. Uh, I will also plug, Jim, a blog that we have on LPVOs. Uh, that's on the website as well. So if a person's looking to dive into a little bit more information in the written format, go check that out. It's a good one. Yeah, if you uh, like to read. Yeah, if you're into <laughs> reading. <laughs> Whatever that is. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so check that out. If you have any other questions about LPVOs, drop them in the comments. Talk, uh, tell us about your experiences, what you like, how you have yours set up, what you found works well. Yeah. And until next time, happy hunting and shooting, everybody. All right, that'll wrap it up for this episode of the Vortex Nation podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you like what you hear, hit that subscribe button, give us a review, or leave a comment. We want to hear what you have to say. If you have a question or topic suggestion, let us know that as well via the Vortex Nation podcast YouTube page or any of Vortex's social platforms. That helps us cover exactly what you want to hear so we can provide the best information to help you with your hunting, shooting, and related activities, and ultimately enjoy them to their fullest potential. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you on the next one.